Welcome to Rehash, a Web3 podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rehash. I'm your host, Diana Chen. And in this episode, we'll be chatting with Regan O'Malley about her unique experience onboarding to Web3, how she got involved in multiple DAOs as a complete newbie and college student, and what she's doing to foster more diversity in the space. Welcome, Regan, to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited that um, a lot of people in your comments nominated me to come onto the podcast. Feeling honored. So I'm really excited to be here. The people have spoken and we had to bring you on. I know. People have spoken and they want Regan. What can we say? So I always start with the guest background. I sort of know your story a little bit because you've shared about it on Twitter and you've written about it and you had a really unique journey to crypto and Web3. For anybody who wasn't part of that journey, do you want to go back and tell people like basically what happened in that very first week that you got into Web3? Yeah, absolutely. So my first week in Web3 was pretty intense, but I guess it kind of starts... A month before that, my brother had visited me in London, actually. I was studying abroad in Vienna. Vienna was going into lockdown. This was November of 2021. Vienna had like this weird stint where the EU was under the impression that essentially Europe was going to go back into lockdown. That was sort of like what some of the, a lot of the headlines were. Vienna was also particularly bad. Some of the worst and highest spikes of COVID. Long story short, they went into lockdown, but I was triple vaxxed and did not have COVID. So I... Flew to London Heathrow and met with my brother, which was amazing because he uh, was actually at ETH Lisbon himself, stayed after for a bit um, and met me in London. Long story short, the word DAO came up. I think our first night, I was just asking him more about what he actually does because to me, and I knew what my job future was going to be, I was working in traditional finance, would have the the mandatory two weeks off and then that would be it. (laughs) Maybe another week piled in there. And so I was just so fascinated with the fact that my brother was able to be, for lack of a better term, a digital nomad and kind of make his own hours and also be successful. Long story short, we just talk about DAOs a little bit and listen to some crypto podcasts, et cetera. And I'm interested, but wasn't a huge topic of conversation. I get home in December and I text him randomly one day. I'm like, hey, remember that like DAO thing? (laughs) What's a good DAO to join? And he goes, let me text some friends. And a friend recommended Index. And I just joined, went right to the introductions channel, said, hi, I'm Regan. I'm like a student at USC. I don't know anything about this stuff, but I'm really excited to learn from you all. And immediately, Kind Eagle and Cruz responded to me. And I actually met with them that day. And then that night made my Twitter. And then posted that really kind of <laughs> silly tweet where I talked about how it's kind of awkward to post on Twitter for the first time. This was my first Twitter, actually. And I remember I was struggling to figure out like, how to tweet. It was like that little button. I was, it was like being so, so bad. It was super embarrassing. And long story short, I go to a business development meeting with Index the next day just to introduce myself, see like what is this whole DAO thing. And Kind Eagle messages me and says, hey, you have 300 followers on Twitter. And then that night I went to bed with, I think, about a thousand. So it was just such a crazy onboarding experience. And then, yeah, that kind of gave me the the opportunity to meet with so many people in this space, so many influential women in this space, like Chase Chapman, like Gabby Goldberg, who inspired me to write. Now it's kind of just been incredible and upward since there. I reorganized my entire class schedule, passed failed most of my classes just so I could do a lot of this stuff. And I have no regrets. It's honestly been one of the best things that ever happened to me. 
That is so wild. So this person who's never tweeted before doesn't understand how Twitter works, doesn't understand how crypto works. And you get on Twitter and within pretty much 24 hours, you're at like a thousand followers. And then I think by the end of your first week, you had like 4,500 followers or something like that. How do you think this, like, why do you think this happened? I get asked this so much. And I think that there was a couple of reasons. I think that the first tweet, I think people appreciated it because it was authentic and honest. But I also think I really attribute so much of my success to Cruz at the Young Cruz because he saw my tweet. It was multiple hours later, had zero likes, no interactions because I literally had four followers. And it was like Cruz, Kind Eagle, and two other people from Index, maybe even like a spam follower in there. I don't even know. And he saw it. He retweeted it and then sent it to some people. He said, hey, this girl's really cool. Mind you, Cruz and I had only had like a 15-minute conversation that day, but he took a liking to me and we've become incredible friends. And yeah, I think that just really kind of spiraled into network effects. It seems like everyone who stumbled across the tweet found it and then commented on it and liked it. And it, it was just such a crazy experience. And I guess I sort of just embraced it from there where I was like, oh my gosh, this, I don't want this to be like the blind leading the blind. So I was like, maybe I should figure out like what the heck blockchain is <laughs> and why, like what's the deal with Ethereum. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think maybe it's because I embraced it, but so much of it was sheer luck and also my incredible support from Index, namely Cruise and, and Kind Eagle that first week. Yeah, I think the authenticity and the network effects definitely were two probably very big factors in that happening. I remember seeing it happen in real time. And uh, I remember messaging some of my friends and I was like, who is this Regan person? And they were like, oh, just like some girl on Index that everybody's pumping. And I was like, oh, okay. And I kind of just assumed it was somebody who had been at Index for like a long time and just didn't have a Twitter account or maybe only had a personal account. And now they were starting a new account that was focused on crypto or whatever. But then I like saw your article come out and stuff. And I was like, wow, like that was literally her first week in crypto. Like it's not like she's been in this space for a while. So that was pretty wild to see. Um, and then you wrote a mirror article about like sort of your learnings from that. And it was really like the, the main takeaway was like, go in these discords and say hi. Like that, that was really it. That was like the TLDR. Is it really like, is it really that easy? Or like now, and, and I don't know if you've gotten involved in like other DAOs since Index and like, what has your experience been in those DAOs? Like looking back now, was it really just you lucked out and, you know, cruise? responded to you right away and index and got on a call with you but that's not normally the case like what is your advice now for people to like join a DAO? I would say it's it's kind of both right I think maybe there was like a maybe I was being a bit naive and I think in my experience it was that easy but in general my advice does still remain say hi introduce yourself because I think that that's the only way to possibly set yourself up for incredible luck or opportunities. I have joined other DAOs since where the onboarding process is a bit less clear. And some, I had had other experiences even after that where I had kind of tried to get integrated into a DAO and struggled. So I would say that in general, my advice is always like go to the introduction channel, say hi, try to kind of sort your way through the DAO if, if you can. Um, be vocal about like, hey, I'm new and I, I would like help because DAOs, I think, without proper onboarding are going to fail. So I think that it's pretty clear which DAOs do and do not prioritize onboarding. But absolutely. I remember not even realizing that that was an option. I remember Kind Eagle was like, hey, like, 
feel free to set up a one-on-one and I was like that's an option I don't know what maybe I, should, I don't know why but I thought like these are all people who don't have photos of their face and go by like pseudonymous names I had no idea that so many people would be so willing to get on a phone call or a discord call so for me that was a huge aha moment so I still recommend that but absolutely I would say my experience and I think very transparently if it wasn't for how incredible my index onboarding was I don't know I would first say I wouldn't be here but I also don't know how involved with crypto I would be because it is hard and it takes a lot of time. And I had the luxury of time, which a lot of people don't have. So I was incredibly fortunate and privileged with how I was onboarded. And I think that there needs to be improvement in that experience for more people. But my general advice is start with hi. And I really do think that the right DAO will say hi back. And for people listening who are like maybe core contributors to, to a DAO or thinking through how to restructure their onboarding process to make it more welcoming for newcomers, what does the ideal DAO onboarding process look like to you? I would say to me, there's an introductions channel that's being monitored by multiple people across time zones. I've even seen a lot of DAOs I'm in that some people just don't really get responded to. And it's hard when you really have no idea about this stuff. Or if you have a full-time job, you have family, like other commitments. So I would say, I mean, I think the one-on-one meeting is really what did it for me. I don't know how feasible that is for all DAOs, especially like the more open ones, which are larger scale. But I would say, I think DAOs need to refocus that community and human aspect from the jump. Because sometimes... There's a lot of obviously goals in a DAO, but at least for the ones that I've been in, they're typically product oriented or there's some like profit, like end goal with it. So I think refocusing that humanity, long story short with onboarding, you don't even have to dox yourself, just get to know that person and maybe handhold a little bit if possible, where it's like, hey, what do you think that you like to do? Because I had no idea that I, I never identified as a writer before I started to write. I think people just need to be encouraged to come to meetings, make the calendar very easy to see, show the meetings that new people can come to, give them the space to introduce themselves, and have a very clear bounty board and have people who are in charge of that and very transparently say, hey, here's how you can get paid. Because that's still such a huge problem where it's like, hey, how do I get into this whole coordinate thing? Like, step by step. That's why Discord's hard. But as step by step as it can, I think, is necessary. Yeah, you said a few things in there that I kind of want to break down. We can start with the last thing about compensation. I think comp is such like a difficult thing to figure out in the context of DAOs and also something that's like kind of uncomfortable for people to talk about, which like probably contributes to the fact that it's not very well sorted out. But from your experience, what has been sort of like the best comp model that you've seen that, you know, makes sure that people get adequately compensated for their time, but also does it in a way that it makes people really still want to integrate with the community and value the other aspects of being part of that DAO, not just have it be like a transactional thing. Absolutely. So I think that at least for most of the DAOs I've been a part of, they use Coordinate. And I think that that is at least a topic of debate. I think there's pros and cons to it because there's the whole entire idea well it's like okay you know a dev who's been like really hardcore but maybe doesn't have as big of a social network is contributing so much to the DAO but does it more in stealth versus like an influencer. And I think that influencers can very quickly reap a lot of those coordinate gains in what may feel like an unfair manner. I would say from what I've seen I think that there needs to be more options for people to get paid in USDC, not just the native token. 
And that's hard because it seems like for most DAOs, it's only like higher tier people have that option. But I think that if we're going to really accurately like onboard people into crypto, and I understand like wanting to pay in the token, obviously, and I'm no tokenomics expert. But I remember when I first got paid in a DAO's token, long story short, I got like lost in the sauce because I just didn't understand, right? I didn't understand. And so it's just hard that way. And also like a lot of these tokens can be so in flux, particularly like DeFi tokens. And so, yeah, I would say compensation model wise, I think the most important thing is to be open and transparent. And if you're using Coordinate to maybe just make it very clear, like what everyone's been doing and to like try and make that like a very fair system. Believe me, there's a lot of people who love Coordinate, but I think it's like a really interesting DAO tool, but also just really clear bounties. Like sometimes the bounties aren't very clear. And that's been an issue for a couple of DAOs recently where people are like, hey, I don't know if I'm getting paid or just sticking to your word. Like if you're going to say, hey, we're going to have X, Y, and Z doing this and then just cut the program in half, um, that's not very fair or democratic. So I guess sticking to the morals of a DAO. I'm not a tokenomics expert, but I guess I've just seen like some compensation issues where people struggle to get paid what they're worth. Can you give an example of where you've seen an unclear bounty versus a clear bounty? You don't have to like call out any DAO names or anything, but just so people can like better understand what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean, I think there was, from what I was told, and I wasn't personally involved in this, there was a DAO recently where there was a contributor who felt very upset because they felt that the bounty wasn't clearly articulated. But this DAO actually handled it incredibly well. They resolved it privately. And then I think now to prevent that in the future, they're making it incredibly clear. I mean, you know, written out. Sometimes you get bounties where you're just in a business meeting and you offer to do something and people are like, yeah, yeah, why don't you help out with that? You're going to meetings, you're doing stuff. And then all of a sudden the month comes and maybe it wasn't a super clear deliverable, but you spent hours in these meetings and helping with people. But when it comes to getting paid for what to do, you don't really know what to say. I think... This space does struggle a bit with unpaid labor. Like when you're more integrated in a DAO, it's a bit easier, right? Like some people just hop between group and group and group. When you're more like kind of senior and well-known, it's kind of more comfortable saying like, hey, I spent a couple hours here. I spent a couple hours there. But I would say for a lot of newer contributors who are maybe just trying to learn, they're not really getting paid for a lot of that time. I think that can be very, very draining very early on. So I would just say if you're having someone like maybe getting started, like taking notes and stuff, maybe the deliverable isn't done, like encourage them to put that time down as long as they're sticking to the deliverable timing so that they can get paid for their work as they would in a more like web to traditional organization. Yeah, for sure. And it's tough, right? Because we sort of put the burden on the contributor to keep track of their hours, which, you know, if I'm attending a meeting here or there, maybe meetings are easier to track. They're on my calendar. I can just go back and reference them. But if I'm doing other work, like if I'm just responding to discord messages, if I'm like, editing an article like if you write an article and you send it through and you're like would love feedback and I give some feedback like in between other things I'm doing like I might not be tracking my time with that as clearly or I might just like forget by the end of the month that I even did that if I'm doing this all the time and I wonder if like there are any DAOs that have this figured out where the DAO itself or maybe the core contributors like somebody from the core team is helping out with this a little bit more and then on the other side too, it's hard to know like what to reward people, right? Like you you brought up a common problem with Coordinate is the dev building in stealth that like is so humble that like he doesn't say anything about all of the hard work he's putting in versus the influencer who's like talking about this all the time, but maybe not actually contributing as valuable work. It's hard to differentiate that. And then it's also hard when you're like, well, I'm just showing up to meetings. Like 
when I was involved in index, I was just showing up to meetings every week, but not really like contributing a ton of work outside of that. And for me, it's still time out of my day, but I don't feel like I should be compensated for it necessarily because like all I'm doing is showing up to the meeting. I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on that? It's such a hard problem. And so like, for example, when it came to a DAO that I'm in and I started doing Twitter spaces, I just kind of agreed to it. And then I remember I wasn't like as active because I had now had like my part-time job with Open and was doing a lot more of like my writing and just general school student stuff. And I remember I just had totally not really understood how people were getting paid. Now it's been sort of fixed. There's a very like each month, like a contributor channel with the thing, but it was just super confusing for me. And I remember I was like, oh, the end of the month, but they actually close it like multiple days before the end of the month. And it's like, well, now you can't get paid for another month. And then also I remember I was like, well, what am I even being paid? And the funny thing is I actually wasn't even planning on asking for it. Then they were like, hey, did you submit your contributor awards? I was like, oh, that's a paid gig. I kind of just thought it was like, I don't know, it's a Twitter space, you know, because I think we have such like a weird, archaic view of what is value. I think time is value. And I think that DAOs, if they truly want to onboard people, I'm not saying like you should be paying out to the person who has their camera off and their mic off all the time and just shows up to the meeting per se. But I think there just needs to be And again, this is all said very easily by me. I'm not like the person that's actively like creating this tooling or infrastructure, but I guess I just wish there was a way where like people could be in these DAOs and just like a a better low touch way to still get paid and get involved. I just think sometimes, at least in crypto, I found that a lot of things are assumed, which is interesting because like no one really knew anything before, but sometimes it's like we're speaking a different language. And I think we forget that that person on the other end does not necessarily speak this language yet. And yeah, that's at least what I ran into, like when trying to understand, well, where can I send my DAO tokens? Like, what's the whole deal with that? And, oh, I get paid for Twitter spaces. Like, does that, how does that work? Like, does that add value? Has been like interesting, at least personally for me to navigate. So I totally resonate with that because I kind of experienced DAO burnout from trying to get involved with things, but it being slow because organizations are sometimes slow, like whether it's a writing guild or something and just realizing, wow, I'm spending quite a lot of time brainstorming and then all of a sudden everyone's getting paid and and I and I'm not it's it's hard yeah for sure um it it sounds like it's a problem that I think a lot of our listeners can probably resonate with as well and few people have an answer to it and especially because every DAO is so different too so what works for one DAO might not even work for another DAO but sort of moving on from that another question I hear all the time from newcomers to the space is how do I find which DAO to join you asked your brother that question when you were first joining and so for you it was like just text my brother my brother will text some people but for people listening who don't have brothers or even friends in the space how can they go about doing DAO discovery and finding the right DAO for them? Yeah. So I think discoverability is still one of the biggest needs in DAO tooling because it is a tool, right? And I think when we talk about like, I think it was you maybe who tweeted about this where it was like, hey, when I type in DAO, I want to be reading. I don't know. I hope I'm not misquoting you, but I think it was like, why am I seeing Forbes and like the New York Times talking about this stuff and then not the people who are on like quite literally like the big names in the space that we all know. And I think that you know, of course, there's like some SEO and stuff like that, which attributes to that. But it's so true. I think if you type in DAO, like you'll find what the definition is, but no tangible ways to join, let alone contribute and get paid and slash actually on board. So at least in my opinion, I know that there are some discoverability tools where the hard thing is, it's like you kind of have to know that they exist. 
I think, at least right now. I know if like there's a great like a uh, spreadsheet that like, has a couple of discoverability tools, I think like Dow Central, etc. And I think they're for the most part quite well done, but it's still a bit if you know, you know. So I would say, at least in my experience, I know this is like kind of like taking a step back. So let's say if someone does find one DAO, I hope from there it'd be easier for them to find others because I remember I was like, how do I find others? And it's like, oh, they're Twitter. So I think that maybe there just needs to be more at least cross-posting communication. Maybe there's too much of an over-reliance on Twitter. I, I still struggle with this question where really I've only discovered ways to kind of reach crypto adjacent people. Like, hey, you found like one post from crypto Twitter. And if you have a question about DAOs, I can easily give you like a laundry list of social DAOs, protocol DAOs, you know, grant DAOs, et cetera, that are very easy. Just click the Discord, right? But what about people who aren't aren't necessarily adjacent to crypto Twitter? How do, how do they find it? But I would say anyone who's even listening, always feel free to reach out to me, but just in general, Twitter and Discord are, are the way, <laughs> at least right now, and hopefully we'll evolve a bit beyond that. For sure. I think what I default to is I just lead people to the DAOs that I think have the best onboarding processes. And like Index is for sure one of those in Forefront. And I'm like, just start there. Like, doesn't matter what your interests are, just start there. You'll at least like learn what a DAO is and what it's like to be part of a DAO. And then from there, you can also like, meet people, grow your network, and sort of ask people for like other DAO recommendations based on your specific interests. I know. And I realize I do the same because it's hard because I'm like, okay, I have a more traditional finance background, you know, index in structured products. I was working in structured products that felt perfect. But then I also realized, and this obviously isn't perfect because I don't want them to necessarily like onboard and then realize that they're not interested in it. But yeah, I remember I posted a tweet asking people for best DAO for newbies because I get asked this and I'm like, well, Really, I can only vouch for what my experience is. So there's a lot of really great experiences, at least in that in that tweet, um, with a lot of I think diverse DAOs outside of my like knowledge repertoire that I think have really great onboarding processes too. Totally. Something else that really stood out to me about you when I first found you on the Twitterverse was just the fact that you're a woman and you're young. You're still in college, technically, which is pretty wild to even think about. But how has your experience been of being a female and then being in college while in the space? And how have you been able to sort of get that confidence that you have to just go out there and do it? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. I think... Visibility is so important because I remember I really never even took an interest in what my brother did because my brother is very technical, you know, knows how to code. I took like one Python class at USC and I was like, I think I'm going to bash my head against a wall. But then I remember he told me about Constitution Dow and was like, hey, like marketing experience and traditional finance experience could marry really well. And so for me, at least, there wasn't anyone that I knew besides my brother, right? But I very quickly found a lot of women, a lot of just diverse people in general who were in these spaces once I got in. But I would definitely say, yeah, the lack of visibility, at least from the outside, is intimidating. But there is a huge group of women and slash or other diverse folks in crypto who have models of just supporting each other so tremendously. I saw a tweet on my timeline today that was saying how like a lot of these women projects are just so dedicated to helping other women. And it's so true. So I think that once you get past the noise, there's so many good actors in this space. And honestly, both men and women. I was onboarded completely by, by men. My brother, Cruz, Kind Eagle, also, well, shout out to Mitzi, who was also there, uh, Mitzi Queen. Um, she is a woman. But, you know, I attribute so much of my onboarding to the incredible men who help me get here. And I appreciate them for showing me that there are women in this space and other diverse talents outside of development. 
But yeah, when it comes to confidence, I think it helped that I was a bit naturally extroverted. I think there is a lot of places for people. And again, confidence and your, you know, your extroverted slash introvertedness doesn't necessarily correlate at all. But with that said, I think that that could be helpful. But with but also with that said, there is a huge place for introverts. And um, I guess with me being an influencer, it can be hard, right? People can be mean and freaky in your DMs. But I would say if someone's not being kind to you, like light them up, light them up, like block them, <laughs> fight back with them. I mean, you don't have time for that. You don't have the mental energy for that. And I think that people in the space will have your back. Um, and if they don't, then I'll have your back. So gaining my confidence, I think, was a bit just the fact that I am a bit very, a little ex- too, little too extroverted. And then also um, I had that support system from, from the jump, which was instrumental in, in me building a platform and, and having the confidence to even take on like, oh, I'll help with an NFT project. And I was like, oh, I'm like, do I really understand like what this, what's going on? You learn. We're so much more capable than we give ourselves credit for. You learn. Speaking of which, you are part of the core team of one of my favorite NFT projects, Astro Girls. How did that come about? And what was the process like being part of like building out a new NFT project? Because I love these PFP projects and I'm in many of these communities, but I've never built one out or been part of building one out. What was that like? It was incredible. It was actually started by both Cindy and Sandra, their sisters, and Eleven, our artists, our incredible artists, actually approached them, which I think is just really cool. And I think it's also awesome because Eleven, she had heard about uh, NFTs and hence why she reached out to them, but she also is non-native English speaking. In fact, like her English is quite limited. So it's been really fascinating and fabulous to have Cindy and Sandra translate on, on my behalf because I've never wanted to make her, you know, use her like Mandarin to English uh, text translator. But yeah, they realized, hey, we need support on this. And they actually recruited myself, Mitzi, which is hilarious, new Mitzi, new my girl from Index, and Amy, who works in corporate law. And again, we are two in Malaysia, two in Australia, and I'm in Los Angeles. So (laughs) a little bit of a global team going on. And none of us had ever met each other before this, obviously the sisters, but, you know, all of us with each other had never met And I think it was such an interesting just method of working because until I looked back on it and I was like, isn't that kind of crazy that that, like we built this whole thing and we don't really know each other and we barely knew each other before. It wasn't like we were super good like buddies even beforehand. It was kind of like, hey, does this interest you? And it was, we got, I think, lucky with that, that it worked out so well. But also I didn't even really think about at the time how crazy it probably is to a lot of people that, you know, maybe not necessarily in this space, but to my parents that I was building out something that would have utility to onboard more diverse people. And then also like help me like pay my rent and like just also be able to compensate an an incredible artist who doesn't even speak the language that I speak. When I think about it like that, I'm like, yeah, this, this world is, is, is pretty nuts (laughs) in all the right ways. So it was, a really interesting experience as a newbie, but I think one of the most rewarding ones. And we're launching our education and mentorship program, and I, I couldn't be more excited. Having gone through this process now, what do you see as some of the most important factors for these like 10K NFT PFP projects to have? Oh my gosh, yeah, great question. I think 
it takes a lot of deliberate thought, right? Like 10K is a lot. And listen, and there's nothing wrong with not selling out, by the way. I mean, yes, I, I think that's the goal for a lot of people. You put in time and energy and effort and you ideally make an allocation that you think is uh, realistic, maybe not immediately. But the biggest lessons I learned is that some of the best and most renowned projects did not mint out immediately, did not even mint out within a month or even a couple of months. And I think that it's one of those things that may take some time to be what you imagined it. I think we see a lot of people in this space who who get lucky, like, or not lucky, but and lot, there's a lot of work behind it. But it's hard not to compare yourselves to projects who mint out in like very quickly in a couple of days and there's a ton of hype. But I would say if you are working on your product, working on your utility, that is the best form of marketing. And I think that, yeah, focus on marketing, like focus on generating a community, but just be authentic and understand that as long as you're transparent about the fact that things may change, like change things as needed. Talk to your community. One thing I learned from this NFT project is that it's as good as it is because we have an ideas and feedback channel where people have the best ideas that I've just never thought of. The people in the space are, are so unique and helpful because they are invested in you and your project and the community. So I think the community, your community is your biggest asset, no matter how big or how small. And to actually see it be realized is, is so rewarding. What do you think are some of the most important things that people should make sure they do or focus on when they're trying to build out a community like this? Because like you said, you guys do have a lot of just very, very loyal members of the community. And like, how did you go about fostering this sort of like vibe? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's hard. Maybe more than 500 DM requests from these NFT promoters, like, hey, do you want to collab? I have an audience of like X, Y, Z. It's not that hard to like, if you want to kind of show off as if you're like a bigger project to, you know, post a kind of like engagement grab and get a bunch of people like into your discord, but that that won't reap returns on your community. <laughs> there, it just won't. I would say my best advice is honestly, like reach out to people. I'm not, I'm not saying like, you know, you know, like demand their free labor per se, but I think there's a lot of people in the space who can give advice. I know like when I get DMs, I always try to get to them. But I think that when it comes to building a project, I think talking to other people who firstly have built a project, where they went right, where they went wrong. Like before building up our mentorship program, we had a call with a She256 because I was like, hey, this is an incredible program. Like, what would you tell yourselves? You know, what would you tell us as someone who's trying to, you know, even raise a torch to, to the impact that you have? So I think people are kind in this space. And at the end of the day, it's easy to get discouraged because majority of people just won't respond or maybe don't even have their Twitter DMs open. But advice is ask people questions, ask your community questions and do your research and be open to the fact that things will fail. That does not mean the project has failed. So when it comes to creating a community, I think it's easy to like want to just like take an NFT promoter up on it. But I think honestly, at least in ours, we have a bunch of Twitter spaces. I think maybe reaching out to like, if you're, let's say a woman, woman-centered project, reaching out to other women-centered projects, getting in group chats with them, asking them questions like, hey, what's worked and supporting them in their mints. I think there's, there's so much wealth in the space. And by wealth, I mean, community wealth, um, the wealth of community that it's not like a competition of who has what, but as you said, there's so many people in multiple communities. And so I think there's a lot of just transfer and share. And so I think be a part of communities yourself.
I love that. I love that. There's so much synergy in the space. And I love the positive sub mentality where it's like we can all work together and we can all make it. And not, it's not, not like if I make it, you can't make it sort of thing, you know, and I think that's what really makes people so like willing to help each other in the space. So if somebody's listening who is in college, like you are, and they're just, just discovering crypto right now, and they're sort of like at this crossroads that maybe you were at six months ago of trying to figure out what to do next, what is your best advice for them? Don't take decisions lightly, but at the same time, enact your own self-agency. So I, I relate to this question a lot because the hardest part about deciding I want to be full-time in Web3 was not that I didn't know, but that I didn't know how to tell my parents because I didn't know how to promise them that my salary is going to be the same or, or get them to understand that this space is, is legitimate. Don't get me wrong. It helps a lot that my brother, my brother, you know, did the whole like dropped out of college, like, yeah, crypto thing. It definitely uh, lessened the blow, if you will. But and I was super lucky with supportive parents. But I remember I, I ended up keeping it private, but I like wrote like a letter to my parents where it was like, mom, dad, don't kill me. I, I'm leaving my traditional, my very esteemed traditional finance job for, for crypto. And I think that they, <laughs> my mom actually was surprising. Like my mom was the one that was really scared because they, they gave up so much for my success. And I think there was at least some guilt in that part because they sacrificed so much to, to, to keep me in a very, in a district that had great schools and they helped me pay for college and they support me so authentically. And so I think there was some guilt, but I think just keeping that open, honest conversation with them about how I was feeling. I remember when it came to my job, I never even told them that I didn't like it because they were just so proud of me that I even had it. And it was in their eyes like, oh, this is our dreams come true. You know, you're going to be financially secure. And and um, and they were very proud of me. And I think that they never were less proud of me. I think sometimes they're still a bit confused. But I think once I started looping them into the process, that's what really became serious. I was like, hey, this is not just me sitting on my computer or like tweeting all day. I want to show you the work that I'm doing. I want to show you the people that are in this space. That really opened up their mind. So I would say my first piece of advice is depending on who they are. And again, this not all parents are going to be as willing. Not all parents' reactions will be the same, but bring them in as much as possible. My dad still spells Ethereum wrong, no matter how many times I correct him, with like an I, you know, but he's 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 trying his best and reading articles. So that's my first piece of advice. My second is it's still your life. And I always struggled with that too. Like even pursuing a business major was very influenced by my parents. Cause I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, business, you know, and I I wanted to make them proud. And I think a lot of my life decisions have been governed by that. And I don't think that's inherently a bad thing. But I think it would have been a bad thing if I had ignored this itch and this urge to get into crypto out of pure fear of the fact that my parents uh, maybe would prefer me to stick with a company name that they know and that they know um, could be very fulfilling in the future. So yeah, I, I think it's bring people into your process. And with the whole dropout thing, gap semester, like let's breathe, you know, it's like, I know it's like, especially when you're in college, so I resonate with it. Like, I just feel like, get me the hell out of here. I'm like, get me the hell out of here. And like, if I was a junior, oh my, it would be so much worse. Right. But gap semesters are, are cool. 
gap semesters add character. Let's say you realize, hey, this is not what I really want to do. Cool. Like what an awesome life experience and adult experience you get to have. Gap semester. That's a way easier sell to your parents and just a way, way, a much bigger thing that I would advise. Um, if you, unless you have something really lined up that you feel really confident in that you've taken a lot of time to think about. I'm not saying people, I think college in a lot of ways, like is becoming more obsolete, especially in this space. But if you're already in it, and I'm not to like be all sunk cost fallacy, but you know, you're young, explore, we're young, explore your options, see what you really like. Um, in the same way that you learned about crypto, maybe you'd learn about something in school. So just take your time. There's such a rush. Take your time. This space is always here and it's waiting for you. And if you end up dropping out, congratulations. Uh, and that's, uh, it's, 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 it's baller. It's super cool. But make it an adult decision. An adult decision that you won't regret is just super important. It is so cool hearing you say that because like, I feel like the effect that you have saying that as a current college student is so much more powerful than somebody like me saying that because they're like, yeah, sure, you can look back and be glad that you finished college. But you know, you're so far removed from it that like, you don't even remember, like, you don't know what I'm going through. And it's like, you know what they're going through, like you're going through it right now. Also, not gonna lie, I did not know gap semesters were a thing. So now I know. Yeah, I think so many schools, actually, I mean, I know, again, there's nuance with this, right? If you have a scholarship, etc. Again, it's quite also maybe even a privileged stance, because a lot of people, you know, can't like it, unless you're getting going to be getting paid by like a job in Web three. It can be hard to just like take that time off and also convince uh, your parents because it's like, yeah, you're an adult, but you're also like a little bit of a fake adult <laughs> when you're still in college. So I would say that it seems like a lot of people do seem to do that. I know it just seems like oh, like either drop out or nothing. And I think, in my opinion, I've seen a lot of people take gap semesters and. I think for most schools, they can accommodate it even with your scholarship slash schedule. So I highly recommend at least like looking into it. If you're like, hey, um, I'm having the dropout itch, um, see what the gap semester itch and if it's a feasible thing. It's just, I don't know, maybe a bit risk averse. It's a bit safer. I think it's just worth exploring if possible. Very cool. Very cool. I love it. All right. Well, Regan, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. This was such an inspirational podcast, like not just for other people who are in college right now, but I think for everybody, like you have such good insights about getting into the space that I think like really will speak to a lot of people. So thank you so much for that. Um, and then lastly, before you go, where can people find you if they want to chat with you more, if they want to learn from you and then like, feel free to plug away at anything else too. Like I know you write articles on mirror and then I've seen some of your videos too. So plug away. Yeah. So honestly, I'd say my Twitter at Regan with two E's at Regan, not Reagan. So spelled phonetically, I think people haven't really like gotten that. So I've been kind of like, should I change my username? Because like, it's an American thing to like, think that like the way my name is spelled is like Reagan, probably because of like Ronald Reagan, even though it's spelled differently. But yeah, the minor shell is my the very phonetic spelling of my username, Regan, not Reagan. That's also my telegram. And as you mentioned, you'll probably just find my whole laundry list of stuff. If you go to my Twitter, like my mirror and medium, which just cross post the same stuff. And yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It was incredibly fun. And I can't wait for people to listen to this. I'm, I'm really excited. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you listeners for tuning in as always. And we'll be back again soon with another episode. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Rehash. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to get involved in helping shape next season of the podcast, including nominating and voting on your favorite guests, 
Go to rehash.mirror.xyz to join our crowdfund. And don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe to help us get this podcast heard by as many people as possible. Thanks for being part of this community, and I can't wait to connect with many of you in Discord and Twitter soon.